I am a hero, not by my own accord, but because God has given me chances to showcase my faith in various storms in my life. Heroes are defined more by what they overcome than what they have accomplished. My name is Ashley Leppert, and I'm a 14-year veteran of the United States Coast Guard where I proudly serve this country as the helicopter mechanic and rescue flight crew. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 5.3. An excerpt from the hurricane within, the nose of the aircraft dipped slightly as we transitioned to a forward flight and began to beeline it to the convention center. I turned around to check all of the survivors. I had placed a young boy in my seat who must have been only five or six years old. He was alone and terrified, wearing nothing but a t-shirt and shorts. His thin little legs were shaking uncontrollably. I looked at him and spoke loudly so he could hear me over the roar of the storm. You're sitting in the best seat in the house, I said. I gave him a big smile and grabbed his hand to comfort him. I placed a survival blanket over his trembling legs. This small gesture seemed to ease his mind. My attention quickly turned to the rest of my survivors. Because remember, it's not about the life circumstances that you've been dealt, but rather much the way you smile and win the hand. Her tales of Americans like Coast Guard Petty Officer Ashley Leppard, who is here tonight in the gallery with Melania. Ashley, we all thank you. Thank you very much. What actually makes you a hero, in my opinion, is not the things that you accomplish, but the things that you overcome, because that's what makes you who you are. And I actually feel bad for those people that don't encounter struggles as much, because things aren't appreciated the day-to-day -day blessings are overlooked, so I thank God for my struggles. And in that moment, I heard the Lord say to me, be still, my child, I've got something way bigger in for you. I am heroic, bold in my faith, and have a positive perspective on life. And so can you. I wanna share with you how. My daughter's here right now. Can I have one more? Of course. Oh, how can you say no to that face? She can have anything. <laughs> Love you. Bye, baby girl. All right, y'all. So we're here with Ashley Leppert. And my God, I got to meet you in person. Finally. <laughs> I've had your book. I have listened to the audio book. And completely blown away to the point where I was like, where do we even begin? I hope this is under is not underwhelming, at least, you know? <laughs> so I typically start off with three random questions. I love it. I don't know if you've heard any of my episodes. Sometimes I forget because I have ADD and that happens. But so the three random question thing is always uh, really fun. So the first one that I'll throw at you is who would play you in a movie? 
It's funny because I get asked this quite a bit and I, for some reason, go back to Shirley's Theron because she's a tall, blonde, like... That's a good one. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's kind of like yeah. she could play me pretty well, but uh, yeah, I would have to say her. Yeah. I love it's my that. top. I love that. And you said you get asked that a lot. And I was like, Randomly, why? It's because yeah. you got the book, dude. And everybody's like, when's the movie coming? And I'm like, well, let me call my direct line to Hollywood really quick. I don't have one. So. I have one. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe you can work that angle for me. I don't know. I'll help you with that, yeah. Um, and if you do have a movie, I want to be an extra. You could be one of my survivors in the basket. Uh, absolutely. Done. We're doing this. Hey, it's set in stone. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> so no, Charlize Theron, yeah. perfect. Uh, yeah, she's from South Africa. Incredible actress. So yes, I can see that too. Um, okay, second question is, what is your spirit animal? Ooh, well, I'm going to have to go with the cliche leopard, considering my last name is Leopard. Um, and I love leopard print literally everything. Clearly, as you can see today, I'm yeah. wearing pink, uh, red, and black leopard print. So, uh, you know, kind of natural for me. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I don't know why I didn't see that coming. Uh, but no, it makes sense in hindsight. So, okay, a leopard. No, I love that. Is that something that you've always identified since you were like a little girl, people trying to pronounce your last name? Yes. I think that ever since I was little, the easiest way for me to describe to people my last name and how to spell it is leopard, like the animal, but with a T on the end. And then they can say leopard pretty simply. So gotcha. <laughs> it just helped me phonetically explain yeah, that to people. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. Okay. Third question, and this is one that I, I typically ask authors uh, such as yourself, and that is like, what is your go-to book? Like, what's the book that, you know, you always recommended to a friend before you were an author yourself? Well, if I'm being honest and true to myself, my go-to book is the Holy Bible, straight up, because that is my life source. That is where I go to when I'm in trouble, when I'm happy, when I'm sad, just to kind of get guidance from my creator. Um, but also a very, very, very close second that was a game changer for me was Winning the War on Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. That's a game changer, especially for someone like me who's kind of struggled with a little bit of mental, not mental illness, but just depression, anxiety, that sort yeah. of thing. So um, it's a game changer for learning how to defeat your inner self when you're doing that negative self-talk and, you know, just kind of feeling down and out. That's a game changer for like rewiring your brain to... I need that. I'm, I'm like, telling you. Bro, negative self-talk? <laughs> Yo. I got a PhD in that. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> game changer, bro. Get that book called The Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. And it's okay. pretty it's pretty bold and it's pretty awesome to, to read anyway. I think so. <laughs> I love that. And I've, I've never had that recommended. And so I'm definitely going to check that out. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right, Ashley. Let's take it back to your childhood. That's how you start off the book, if I'm not mistaken. You know when you get to the end of a book, you have to like go back to the beginning <laughs> yeah. a little bit? I'm like, what was the beginning again? I actually started thumbing through it again because, yeah, it, it's quite an amazing and an inspirational story. But what resonated with like your childhood uh, with me is just the whole dynamic of your family, a lot of their trauma and their struggles. I really, that really resonated with me. And so I was hoping you could kind of just bring us in on your life a little bit, where you grew up and, and how that dynamic played out. 
all right, sure, we're going back, back to Cali. Cali. No, I'm just kidding. It's Detroit, Michigan. It's that's, Detroit. Yeah. That's where I'm born and raised. Um, so I, I was uh, born and raised in the outskirts of Detroit, Michigan. And um, truthfully, I had a pretty normal middle class upbringing. Um, we lived in a condo my whole life. So um, it was quaint, but, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. My mom didn't drive. Um, and my dad was uh, pretty much the breadwinner of the household. Uh, great parents. I didn't lack for anything. However, uh, my mom was an alcoholic and my dad struggled quite a bit with uh, substance abuse. So um, they did a really good job at hiding it, if I'm being honest. It wasn't until I was sort of in my younger teenage years I started to kind of pick up on some things that were curious to me. But um, my dad had a heart attack when I was in sixth grade and uh, of course he was prescribed everything under the book and I think that he had a little bit of a substance issue prior to that but I think that sort of elevated it so um, he struggled with narcotics and opio opioids um, and my mother's go-to was alcohol she drank pretty much every single day since I could really remember um, but again, I, I you know they both have since passed, so it's very important to me to like reiterate to everybody that I talked to that they really were great parents, and you know they did the best they could, but they struggled with their own demons, and so you know, unfortunately, that's kind of the byproduct of not really dealing with issues, and um, yeah. you kind of seek. Uh, therapy and substances I'm sure you know as we talked about you know we've yeah. all been through that as well so um, but yeah I, I was born and raised there had a pretty normal upbringing and um, graduated high school 2003 and in 2005 I joined the military and really I've been back since you know when I was stationed there but not a whole lot really since so right so with your parents not being there and how places change yes you know especially when you're in the military because you get like huge snapshots of time you know what i mean like yes. to everyone living there it's their norm it's such a slow burn they don't really realize it and then when you go back after five ten years it's like you don't even recognize the place anymore it's crazy actually i will say in like a positive perspective detroit when i grew up was really really rough i mean you really kind of cautioned yourself even going downtown but i will say nowadays there's been a lot of improvement as far as like you know, you still have your ghetto areas, but I mean, like, the arts district has really come along, and, like, just the economy itself has grown, but, um, yeah, you're right, it's definitely uh, a different dynamic when you're growing up there, and then when you go back, you're kind of, like, the same people doing the same thing, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. So, like, when, um, you know, my childhood growing up, you know, drinking and, and pain pills and things like that were kind of a norm, right? Um, so much so that like when I met like my wife's family for instance when they weren't drinking at like Thanksgiving I was like are they doing this because of me <laughs> right like, or, but that was just their norm yeah. right like I didn't realize like n not surrounding all of your plans around alcohol like was a thing like I thought that was normal same you know what I mean yeah. so that just blew my mind like like in the military meeting other people hearing their stories and then kind of taking that and then reflecting on your own story and it's really eye-opening like when you start having those those long talks especially like when you're in a job like yours where there's a lot of traveling and downtime and it's like a hurry up and wait type of job so you get to know people like super duper well like the ins and outs of their whole life 
Absolutely. And it's crazy. I'll never forget my very first station was in Puerto Rico. And all I knew was Detroit, Michigan, right? So my very first station, I'm in... A, Did you went to like, Puerto Rico? Yes, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Okay, what? like it was terrible, let me say. Like, I mean, come on. It was right. like phenomenal. But like, here I am, I'm... 19 years old at the time and I'm meeting not only a different culture you know I'm, I'm around Spanish speaking population and then I deal with all these people that are from Georgia and California and middle of nowhere Tennessee and everybody's so different but it's such a blessing though because it made me appreciate different cultures and diversity and getting to know people and realizing that everybody does have a different upbringing and you know you get to learn a lot without judging initially. Yeah, and you, and you really bond with people because, like, in the back of our heads, we all know that our time with these folks are limited. So we're more prone to just telling, just being open and transparent. Yes. You know what I mean? That's probably my favorite thing about, about joining is, like, hey, we're all moving. So, like, might as well just go, like, you know, yes. off the deep end with this stuff. And it was just a blast. Um, so in your time in Puerto Rico, you did have... A major setback so one thing that me and you have in common is we both were in a place where alcohol was served to younger folks you know in Guam for me it was 18 um, and to be that young and to to be in such a fun place so early I just got lucky actually I wouldn't even say I got lucky I got in trouble quite a bit yeah. I got lucky that I didn't get kicked out and I never had a DUI and I'll tell you why I couldn't afford a car <laughs> Blessing in disguise, brother. I swear to you. I took the shuttle. There's a shuttle bus on base that would uh -huh. take you downtown. Nate's told me all about it. <laughs> and I would stick to that shuttle. Now, have I ever been in a car where folks have been drinking? Absolutely. But me personally, I never, I never could afford to. You know what? Maybe I shouldn't have had a vehicle. I think that was the problem. That was but, the problem. I mean, I think for me, I was... Uh, that DUI actually was a blessing in disguise. I look back and I was on a very, very bad path. And I think, as you can probably relate to, when you have an instance like that, you can either say, wow, I need to wake up and realize this is a, a life-changing event. I'm going to either go on a positive route or I'm going to keep going right down the same road. And for me, I really feel like it was a, a, an eye-opening experience. I was like, wait a second. This is not me. I'm being reckless with my life and the life of people that I'm around. And it's not, it's just not who I am. So I took that instance and I was like, all right, I'm going to lick my wounds and make my reputation clean again and really show people that it was a one-time deal and I'm not just that, you know, shit bag for sorry for lack of better term right. that like needs to be just weeded out of the military you know right. we've all seen those as well yeah so i i thought it was really awesome that you had a the opportunity co to continue to oh, serve me too because there's a you know i'd say nine times out of ten that doesn't happen and so like how did you get that second chance Honestly, I think it is by the grace of God, first and foremost, and secondly, I really did work hard. I was a really good airman. I mean, I, even though it was grunt work, you know, painting walls, doing dishes, pulling weeds, whatever job they gave me, I really tried to work really, really hard. So I think I made a very good name for myself. So when it came down to that instance, I think a lot of people had my back and went to bat for me um, because they knew that it was a mistake and that I clearly was regretful of what happened. Um, so I think between God's plan for my life and people going to bat for me, I think really those were the only two things and my integrity because the second that it happened, I owned up to it. I, you know, didn't try to skate my way out of it. I said, hey, I messed up and I'm willing to pay the consequences. And people yeah. kind of looked at me with a little more respect in that way. So, 
Right, no, I love that. And so I, me personally, I'm the type that I've always struggled with criticism. And like I already beat myself up. So like had that happened to me, I, I know I never would have bounced back out of that personally. Um, so how do you think you found it within yourself to rise above that? Because that's, that's not easy being in the spotlight where everyone's, <laughs> you know, calling you a shitbag you yeah. f- you, and you feel bad yeah. and it just compounds it 10 times worse when everyone knows what happened and you just feel like the spotlight's on you at all times how did you go from that to where you're at now like how did you mentally get past that well it was terribly hard I'm not gonna sit here and say like it was all peaches and cream because it was hard I mean I was down on myself for quite a while but um, Really, again, I just knew that that was not me. I knew that I was better than that, and I was not going to let the opinions of other people dictate my future. And I think that's something that I still, even to this day, focus on, because who doesn't have those moments of doubt or that fear of judgment? Um, especially, I mean, let's let's look at the situation. I was a female. I was um, kicked, kicked out of my squadron in training, aviation training, for a DUI, and then I get sent to a boat unit. So here I am, this dirtbag, female, aviator. I mean, I don't think there could have been many more things against me. And um, I just really wanted to prove myself because I knew I was better than one mistake. And um, I just was not going to let the spirit of fear kind of control my future and my destiny. So I just said, you know what? You can say everything you want. That's okay. But in six months from now, I want you to reevaluate that that decision about how you think about me because I'm going to get every single qualification I can. I'm going to work overtime. I'm going to paint walls. I'm going to sound fuel tanks, whatever you need me to do, but I'm going to do it better than you could have ever expected. And I did that. And I think I earned my respect back, basically. Wow. No, I love that. I love that you just came back. <laughs> yeah. It's like you got fired up and pissed I off. I did. At myself. But yeah. then you, you use that, you know, to better yourself. 100%. You know, when it comes to Star Wars terminology, I call that <laughs> tapping into the dark side. You know what I'm so saying? So true. It was like, I of the tiger. It's the yeah. That was me singing that to myself. Like, don't you give up? Don't you? Yeah. And then- just like screaming at yourself in the mirror, like David Goggins does. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's awesome. No, I, when I when I read that you bounced back from that, I was like, dang, that's like one of those success stories. And I think you had this like, I'm a spiritual person. You know what I'm saying? So. I felt like you had this higher calling that helped get you to where life needed you to be at the right place at the right time. You know what I'm saying? Dude, without a doubt. Like, I didn't grow up with religion. I didn't grow up being forced into any type of faith. I mean, we talked about God and things like that. But, like, I had the luxury of finding faith and truth on my own. And when you find that and then realize your purpose, man, like, I know my guardian angels were, were there. And I've, you know trusted God and that obedience and that just like release of control over your life is really just beautiful when you kind of break it all down. Yeah, and one thing you mentioned a lot in your book that like as an adult that has a lot of, you know, 17 years active duty service as of now purpose is one of those like things that change our entire life that fill us with love and energy and that fearlessness that you know, we need to get to the next level but we don't always have the opportunity to have that purpose so like when you do get it you need to like dive all in you know what i mean so true man i think as human beings we have the innate ability to try to discover purpose why are we alive what is earth about like what is that you know all these questions that happen and the beautiful thing is as i realized is when you just 
have faith, A, and when you just release that and trust that God is going to work through your life, like, he shows you. Like, I'm not, I, I'm not sitting before you or anybody else talking about my faith because I'm a religious person that just believes what's told to me. No, like, I live it. I see it. I've watched miracles happen in my life, and that's why I feel so um, passionate about sharing that because I would be doing a disservice to the people that I love in this community, in this country, if I didn't talk about how important that is. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, I love that you're just <laughs> like 100% you. That's it. You know what I mean? Like, you have but to people earn relate that. to real, man. Like, I could sit here and right. tell you all the perfect things, but like, that's why I wrote my story is to like tell you the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. And like, I am nobody. I am an ordinary person that God has used to do extraordinary things. And that's what God does with people. It's beautiful. It is. It is. And yeah, you're proof. Of, <laughs> you're definitely proof of that. One thing I also loved about the book was that. I didn't know what coasties were. <laughs> know. You know what I'm saying? And like you in the beginning you talk about the jokes people make about the Coast Guard, yes. which still goes on to this day. For sure. Like I just watched, you know, Space Force uh, the show on Netflix and the Coast Guard, they keep kicking them out of the meetings. <laughs> yeah. Like out of the joint yeah. chiefs of staff. They're like, What are you doing yeah. here? Like, get out. And he's like, Dang it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like those jokes still happen to For this sure. day. I've heard them but at at the same time, like most of us don't know any coasties so it's like you i hear about them but i don't i truly don't know why it's happening we're like unicorns man just saying (laughs) but the the truth of the matter is a coastie is one of the reasons i joined that's awesome because um i don't i i haven't really spoke about my religious background but because you know that means something to you i'll bring it up so i was a born-again christian at like 18 Yeah, I got baptized at 18 by a guy named Chris Rodenheiser in in Virginia, amazing youth pastor. But there was a a Coastie there, and he was deploying to, like, Afghanistan. And I remember thinking, like, you're deploying? Like, (laughs) you're in the Coast Guard. Like, that's a thing. And he was like, yeah, but he was just such an awesome guy. His name was Damien. I don't remember his last name, unfortunately, but the first name's so unique. Mm -hmm. A Coastie out there might know him. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to have to spread the word. Coast Guard Damien, where are you? Where is Damien? (laughs) But the guy was just so sharp and, like, such a good person that, you know, he's one of the reasons I joined because I wanted to be like him. Like, the way I felt about him and looked up to him, I wanted to be that for others. And so a Coastie is one of the people that ushered me into the Air Force. That's an awesome story, man. Really. I mean... All jokes aside, I know we're like the redheaded stepchildren of, of the military, and that's cool, but like, that's why it was very important to me also to share my story is like, you know, my faith aside, my hurricane rescues aside, everything I've been through in my life, if just the takeaway is learning about Coast Guard, in particular aviation, because we're such a small sector, like, it was important for me just to share with the public because the media, I mean, clearly, as you know, <laughs> anybody can turn on the news and see it's bogus half the time, so like, a yeah, lot I don't of people even watch just, it. Nope, same. Yeah, nope. <laughs> I get the cliff notes from my dad, and he's all fired up. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't even really honestly pay much attention right. to it. But, like, for example, like, during the hurricane rescues and stuff, like, I mean, they try to paint a, a, a solid picture, but I really wanted to share from a person who was doing the rescues from my perspective just so people could hear and see and feel, um, you know, what it was like and that we're not just out there giving people tickets on the water when they're drunk, you know? Right. <laughs> we have a little bit more of a diversity than that so 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, one thing I appreciate about the Coast Guard is that, you know, you protect the homeland. And my dad, I told you, he was in the National Guard. That's awesome. And it has a similar mission, if you would, you know. Definitely. So. Yeah, we're definitely multi-mission. I mean, I've done every sort of mission from search and rescue, which is primary, but search and rescue, drug interdiction, law enforcement. I mean, I haven't even touched on the stuff in my first book that I did, you know, uh, TADs down to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, and shooting out go- drug runners on boats and stuff. like. Oh, wow. And I, my husband now laughs at me because like I was in the Air Force for 20 years and I didn't even go on one deployment. You did way more crazy stuff than I did. So we joke about that, you yeah. know, so. Yeah, that is funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, how you painted Coast Guards, like just, if your goal was to educate and inspire about the Coast Guard, then I'd say you hit the mark. Thank you. Because I've been in 17 years. I didn't know squat about it. I, I'm just geographically haven't really been around them much. Um, but I absolutely love the Coast Guard. I have a huge respect for them. Thank you. And I just want to thank you for bringing us into that world and, and painted that picture for us so that we know, like, I mean, it's, it's, there's just so many incredible things that, like, y'all were doing. Um, I, I really don't think you get enough credit. You know, thank you for that. And honestly, I mean, as you know, I'm only as good as my team. I'm only as good as the people I work with. And I just appreciate you saying that first and foremost. But, like, you know, interagency, we can give each other some crap and, and, and all the jokes. But reality is, like, we're all here to serve our country, protect, save lives. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we all have the same heart and the same mission, hopefully, you know, in right. in mind. So um, it's just kind of a different piece of land that everybody's working on, you know. So yeah. we're just happen to be on the borders of the U.S., keeping people safe and saving people in trouble. So thank Absolutely. you for saying that. I appreciate Hell that. Hell yeah. So let's talk about Hurricane Harvey. That's it. Hurricane Harvey. You were saving lives, and and it's like it was like a whirlwind. Like reading, like I had trouble like navigating. Like okay, what day is this? Where are you at now? Like I can't imagine actually being there, you know. So I was just hoping. I, I know this is a lot to ask. Run us through Hurricane Harvey. Nope, that's totally fine. So um, as you know, just like anybody, we just do a lot of training, right? Training for missions. We do search and rescue training, boat operations, and. Um, we had all prepared for a moment like this and I happened to be the one that was on duty which as you know being on call for 24 hours or whatever the the mission is um, so I happened to be the the helicopter on crew that day and at 3 in the morning my pilot called me and said hey we're going out to Hurricane Harvey pack your bag and um, everybody was acutely aware of what was going on because I think preemptively people were like oh it's just gonna hit land and kind of go away and we really I guess didn't plan for as big as as a disaster as it ended up being Um, so I literally packed a a couple pair of dry socks in my flight bag a couple granola bars and maybe you know my toothbrush and I was out the door Um, and then boom it was like five days later and I kind of woke up like what just happened yeah (laughs) so literally we flew into the airspace five days yes because uh, okay. like it's hard to even grasp like time wise yes. like yeah. how long of a, all these rescues and situations like it was hard as a reader to be like how long are you in this storm yeah it, it, I believe if my timeline is correct the hurricane hit landfall Saturday evening 
um, and at which point I got called in at Saturday at 3 in the morning and we made it out there by sunrise and um, we actually landed our first fuel stop in Beaumont, Texas which actually ended up being hit uh, the worst out of all the spots and I remember telling my pilot like this is pretty bad we should just stay here why are we driving all the or flying all the way to the Houston airspace but anyways you know we just do what we're told in the military and so um, it was instantly the second we got into the airspace it was all these calls from um, sector command control basically saying go to this GPS position go here this person it was just like non-stop and so we were primarily focused initially on the um, obviously the most extreme cases uh, people that were basically gonna die if we didn't get their ASAP and everybody else that was just kind of wet and uncomfortable could just chill out for a little while um, but then that like typical hurricanes will hit the coast and then kind of dissipate a little bit this one hurricane harvey for some reason just sat and rained and dumped for two days longer than kind of was planned so um so how are these folks getting your help like if they're stranded on a bridge like somewhere on a bridge yes how would you know that there's people there that need help are they using their cell phone to dial 911 do you just fly around and look how does that happen so there's quite a few different ways. I think initially it was 911 calls that were directed to our operations center, and then they reach us on the helicopter, you know, through our comm system, and tells us, you know, tells us the GPS location. Um, but it came to a point where cell phones were dead, no electricity was out there, so people were out there waving towels and taking off their shirts on rooftops and waving them. And um, at some point, people were using Facebook and throwing out, you know, GPS locations. And we were we were never usually allowed to use our cell phones obviously flying but there came a point where like our rescue swimmer in the back was just like hey I'm seeing coordinates here hey we're getting a call here so it was kind of like a free-for-all the first couple days just whoever was needing our help we kind of you know made sure we we tried to get there yeah it's amazing how like certain things just like go out the window like when a real world situation happens exactly you can only train so much right like and the rest is like you have to adapt and overcome that's you know we have to have that resiliency especially in the aircraft like if you're not making quick split-second decisions like there's people's lives on the line there. Yeah, and so your role in all this is you are lowering, uh, like, basically the mechanism that picks people back up and you're stabilizing that cable. And there's a swimmer down there who loads the people up. So it's like a a three-man job in a way. Correct. So basically the easiest way for me to describe it is I'm like the middleman of the operation. I'm telling the pilots, like, I also have to have a 360-degree view of trees, power lines, all obstacles. So I'm telling the pilots up front, you know, hold position. You're descending, easy forward right, easy back and left, whatever the case may be. All the while, I'm looking down at the rescue swimmer, making sure that, you know, the cable is straight, that I have enough cable down not enough cable not too much cable because it could get wrapped around obstacles so it's um you have to be able to very well assess your surroundings and make quick decisions you have to be a good communicator yes (laughs) i mean my god you're the eyes and the ears of the pilot and the rescue swimmer correct yeah like you're in both their blind spots correct absolutely wow (laughs) no pressure right no pressure (laughs) but yeah I, i love that dynamic like i never knew that was a thing and now i'm thinking like and then I thought, who are these rescue swimmers? Yeah. They sound like like they're just beast mode. They really are. <laughs> like, who are these people? We need to meet these people. Um, but no, I was really impressed with, like, dude just swimming around down there. Like, I thought that was, like, so crazy. I'd never heard of that. Yep. I always assumed they were, like, 
going down with you, I guess. Like, you were lowering them down. I guess that's what you do, right? And then they swim around at that point and start rallying everybody, loading them up safely and then pulling them up. But there's times where they're meeting you at a spot. Yeah, there's um, there's quite a few different deployments, uh, is which we call it. But there's um, the kind where they can stay connected to the hook and and kind of swimming out, swim around, but still connected to the line. And there's other times um, where they it's called a harness deployment where they disconnect the harness, they go swim, um, get the get the survivor, the person in need, and then bring them back to me. At which point that I'll already have brought the cable up, hooked up a litter or a basket, right. and, and got it right back down to them. So it's kind of like a you got to meet that sweet spot where they. Yeah. Can get the survivors to you at the right time yeah wow lots of teamwork <laughs> lots of communication 100%. i didn't you i learned a lot about a helicopter as well um and their limitations i didn't realize like how quickly they overheat and can they're very vulnerable to weight like more than i thought you know you see this big powerful machine you wouldn't think picking up people could throw this thing off but it, any little deviation in the weight shift can really screw this helicopter up make it overheat and you were saying like certain <laughs> You know, and under normal circumstances, it getting overheated or overweight bearing would cause like extra inspections that year. And y'all were like way past that. Oh, oh, for sure. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, so to be fair, we were my my helicopter that I specialized in was the short range recovery MH65 Dolphin. So it's like a little tin can in the air compared to like the 60s, which are, you know, Blackhawks and, you know, any type of large scale helicopters. These are like the tiny ones with the tiny cabin. Mm. So we're very weight dependent. And um, that's a big cautionary factor for us is especially bringing on extra people and, and patients that were like, hey, how, how's our fuel level? So that's something that the pilots and, and me as the flight mechanic are constantly checking, like right. weight, time, and, and all, all that matters. Otherwise, if we put too much weight in the helicopter, we're not going to be able to have enough force yeah. to, to properly exit a hover. And there's all sorts of hazards, power yeah. lines, oh, and gosh. the wind and them stabilizing it in the wind as they're lifting a person. Like these are super talented people. Like 100%. My cruise blew my mind. I was so amazed at the synergy. Like that's such a, that's such synergy. a military word, man. I, but I mean, I'm not like, that's like, ooh, synergy. But like, it was right. so true, man. Like the pilots were on, on point. My rescue swimmer was on point. Like I was back there just like, bing, bing, bing. Like it was such a well-oiled machine machine and it's just a testament to all of the training that we do yeah and there's that one amazing uh moment where you had like a litter of children right like you saved all those babies and they were all staring back at you that is something that like honestly that picture is envisioned in my head and burnt in my memory forever like it was such could a could you run us through like that situation and, and how it made you feel sure uh, well so this was day two of all the rescues which actually was a lot worse than day one believe it or not um but I was sent out on a later afternoon or early evening search and rescue mission and um we were called out to this area that was, for some reason, and I still to this day, day don't know why, but it was a highly populated area with children with medical conditions, and it was it looked like it was a subdivision, like a cul-de-sac, but it could have been, I don't know, a special needs home, whatever, I'm not really sure, but we got called to this area, and my rescue swimmer, I lowered him down, and this, this at this point in time, the winds were whipping, you have rain coming in, you have malfunctioning, um, you know, avionics and I mean like it the was helicopters getting destroyed like destroyed basically yeah. yeah 
Um, but we tried to do everything within safety limitations, of course. But at this point, it's just like your mic's getting smacked with wind and rain. You're trying to communicate with the pilot. You've got you know chaos happening below you. And, and at this point, people are desperate to, to get to safety. Um, so anyways, so this was, um, I think, the second lowering of the basket to pick up people. And I'm looking down there at my rescue swimmer trying to keep the pilot in position. And excuse me, I noticed that he kept putting uh, what looked to me at the time, because I'm 150 feet up in the air with whipping rain, and so I can only have so much visibility. So um, it looked to me like it was a bunch of bundles of clothing or something. And I'm like thinking to myself, why is my rescue swimmer like saving this woman's clothes? Like we don't have fuel for this. Like what is he doing? So you thought it was like personal belongings. Correct. So she sat in there first, and I saw him putting like bundles of what looked to me like clothes that I just assumed. Right. Um, but anyways, again, going back to that synergy word, <laughs> I just trusted my swimmer down I'm gonna there. I'm going to call this episode Synergy <laughs> with Ashley Leppard. <laughs> um, but seriously, I just trusted my, yeah. my swimmer down there, and I was like, well, I don't get it, but whatever he's doing down there is, is for purpose. And so I ended up hoisting the mother up with what I thought was bundles of clothing. I lowered the hook down really quick to get my rescue swimmer because we had like only a couple minutes to get out of there before we were gonna be out of fuel soon. So I got my swimmer up really quick and as we were bolting to the drop-off zone, I'm now assessing my patients. Okay, how is everybody doing? I'm giving people blankets and all of a sudden what I thought to be bundles of clothing were little babies wrapped up in these little blankets and, and raincoats and I just, I mean, even as I t tell you this story right now, I just get head to toe chills because I, you know, there was a mother and, and four, four babies in that basket yeah. and it just was like profound to me, the mission that we were doing at that moment. Right, like that's one of those moments where you're truly saving like these people's lives. Like there's nothing that like brings the word life to our mind more than like the sight of a, a child. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like that's life defined, right? They got their whole life ahead of them. And so I, I can't even imagine how that felt like having all those children relying on you for survival, you know, to live out the rest of their lives. And it's kind of hard to like wrap your head around. Honestly, when you put it like that, it's, it's so profound that I can't really, it's, it gets me emotional, like to think, because in the military, as you know, we have a mission. When we complete it, awesome job, well done, we go home. We don't really think a whole lot into it, at least I didn't. But when you say it like that and, and to know that people are walking around today on the planet because of my bravery and my crew's bravery, it's it's really, it's a lot, honestly, to, to think yeah. about. <laughs> I mean, think about like the lives that that, that person's gonna impact, the friendships, their children, yeah. <laughs> like the waves of lives that you guys changed is astronomical in the grand yeah. scheme of time are you trying to get me to cry right Absolutely, now because it's, yeah. it's i'm tearing up man yeah, that's, that's the working. synergy <laughs> i feel the synergy bro okay that's what it is interagency synergy that's that's 100 what i'm tapping into um okay 35 minutes oh we're doing great yeah i think we, it ends at 43 okay okay so and i'm going just through the book in my Earth. mind here if you can't tell that's great okay so let's roll into the white house now i'm an annual award winner in the air force i was a 12 outstanding airman for a MAGCOM. that's one step away from the entire air force wow. so i got to go to the ceremony and see the winners of the air force but that's i got to awesome. go to all these trips and and so i know the amount of teamwork and 
and bullets and package writing and all the all the insane amount of work that goes into putting one person in that spot. Yes. And so I, I do know the behind the scenes a bit, but like when I see that you get honored at the White House, I, I don't know how that's even possible. How, like, how did that happen? I mean, people can laugh at me when I say this, but like, that's a God thing right there. Like, I'm not even really? kidding you. Like, I can't even tell you to this day how I am the specific person. Um, I know that there was quite a few people whose names were in for it because, again, I mean, we all did some amazing rescues. And as you know, it's not just one person out there. It's like team, teamwork, crew, the whole crew. Um, but I think the only thing that made me a little bit different is I had done many flight days. Um, a lot of people did like one flight day and they would be bagged out or they would be done. Um, but I got to fly on three different days. So I think my name kind of just kept coming up like a part of some really good rescues and some really crazy missions. So. Um, yeah, I, I got the invitation, and I truly, when I first got the phone call, I actually thought somebody was playing a prank on me. Right. I think I talked about that in my book, where I was just like... I mean, who wouldn't? Like, right? I mean... Like, hey, I'm with the... This is Jet from the White House. Yeah. Oh, I like, can't remember. That's not what it said. Like. No, for sure. Like, little old me, like, <laughs> right. from nowhere, Michigan. Again, like, an right. ordinary person getting put in an extraordinary position. No, I, I love that, that that happened to you. I think it, it was so deserving, and I think it also came at a time where, like, you needed it the most... You know what I mean? It's so crazy, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, you were suffering with the autoimmune disorder. Yes. I have one. No so way. So I told you we were a lot in common. Yeah. Yeah. So I have hypothyroidism. Okay. Um, which causes, you know, depression, weight gain, sluggishness, fogginess. So I have to make a lot of lifestyle choices to try to avoid okay, that. Even yep. the medication doesn't quite ever get you there. I get it, yeah. You know what I mean? You're, mm -hmm. It's like you feel it forever and it's hard to explain to people too it's like because you look at me and I look at you and I'm like oh yeah we're both healthy right. people there's nothing wrong and I think that was for me a hurdle to try to explain to people no like I feel like my muscles are shutting down I feel extremely weak and tired and like you can only kind of chalk that up for so long as like oh I'm stressed out like if you have no stress right. in your life and you're still dealing with that like maybe there's an issue yeah there was times where like your your body gave out and it yeah I can't imagine how terrifying that would be when you're trying to save someone oh. and then your own body starts to give out and like you don't want to let your team down you don't want to let those people down oh. that's terrifying I mean that's there can't be anything worse than that feeling that you went through and so I'm so glad you finally found a specialist because my god like the when you keep bouncing around with doctors, you'll never get an answer. They'll never. never figure it out. No. So and I'm so each thankful doctor, that. Thank you. Yes, that because I've been through that rabbit hole, and <laughs> yes. I was like, "Oh my God, she figured it out!" Thank God. Thank you. Um, it was, yeah. And so you were getting medically boarded for this, and this news came at that time when yes. you were kind of like trying to picture your life outside the military. So I, I think there was something spiritual to that because I'm my, telling you. it came at like the best time to honor you and your team and what you guys did, but just run me through that White House experience, like when they gave you a standing ovation, like the the look on your face <laughs> is just like, I, I, I'm i just so happy for you when I see that, because I know your story. Thank so you. So when I see your face, and I know how genuine you are, and I know to honor you that way, is just incredible, you know what I mean? Well, thank you, and you know, it's still to this day very uncomfortable for me to like talk about myself in a way that, you know, might seem prideful or I just really try to stay humble because I know that 
I am a very ordinary person that God has put me in some pretty extraordinary positions and all I did was excel and do my job, truly. And um, it was very important for me the entire time in the White House, whether I was speaking to President Trump, the First Lady, uh, no matter who I spoke to, it was very important for me to emphasize on the fact that, yes, you know, I did some amazing things, but I'm here on behalf of my crews. I'm here on behalf of everybody that was out there, whether they were in the operations center, whether they were doing maintenance or flying, whatever it was, like, I could not have done the rescues by myself. And so that was very important for me to convey. Um, I just happened to be the one person because they couldn't send, you know, 200 people there. You know, I just happened to be the one face for everybody. Um, but it, it truly was the most humbling experience that I've ever been through. And um, honestly, I know that I was put in that position to use that little bit of a platform to not only talk about Coast Guard aviation, but to talk about my faith and just plant seeds of how I was able to get through everything and, and up until this point too. Absolutely, it's like the spirits, the <laughs> spiritual world, like that, you know, makes magic happen. Oh, and it happens, like, man. Like puts you. It, it, it was it's like the most picture perfect way to end your time in the service to basically let you speak on it for the rest of your life. Yes, that is so true. And honestly, like. In that moment, like here, I'll tell you a funny story backing up. So when I got the invitation and all that crazy stuff, I literally thought that I was going to the State of the Union as like, you know, back of the, the row, peanut gallery. Just like, like an invite. Yeah, just like a guest, right? right? Not like an honored person that the president was going to speak about like within the first five minutes of his speech. Like this totally was like oblivious to me. Um, so when I started walking into the Capitol building, I realized like, oh my gosh, they put me next to the second lady. Melania Trump is three people down for me like so I looked over at the second lady and I was like okay I'm kind of at this point we had already met you know so I could kind of talk freely with her but I was like you know Miss second lady like is there a specific way for me to handle if he speaks about me in his speech because now I'm starting to get like con like concerned that I'm underprepared kind of thing well yeah like look who you're sitting next to yes yeah. so, so I asked her thank God that I asked her because she told me the proper protocol was to stay seated during a standing ovation um, which thank God she said that because literally 10 minutes later I was like okay I gotta stay seated he's talking about me <laughs> wow yeah, yeah. I, and I, I heard another podcast you were on where you guys were joking about that how yes. like you were like, I know I'm supposed to stay seated, but this is uh, kind of awkward that I have to stay seated. Yes, yeah. and I had so many people, like, of course, you got the keyboard warriors, you know, right. that were like, oh, why'd you stay seated? You look so disrespectful, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, well, the second lady told right. me to stay seated, so I'm pretty sure she knows what's... what's well, otherwise, <laughs> you wouldn't know who they're honoring. Oh, exactly. That's the point, because... <laughs> Everyone would be looking around, like, who, who, is, who is this person? Oh, right, and there yeah. was people after me that got a standing ovation, and they stood with the crowd, and so, of course, you know, they blended in. Nobody really knew who they were right. like clapping at. So I get it now, of course. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that made me chuckle a little bit too. It's just one of those unexpected things. For but, sure. But no, uh, very beautiful moment. Yes. It, it just such an amazing way to end your service. Okay, final thoughts. Well, I will first of all say thank you very much for getting me on your podcast. This okay. is really awesome. Honored to be here. Um, yeah. I have a website, so if anybody wants to come on there for uh, to purchase an autographed copy of my book or to talk to me about it, speaking at an event that they're hosting, they can go to ashleyleppard.com. Hell yeah, and I'm going to hit you up because I'm right down the road. <laughs> so, yes, I will hit you up for awesome. that. Awesome. And I just want to tell you thank you from the bottom of my heart for being you, for being 100% Ashley Leopard, kicking ass and taking names, <laughs> making you. us so proud to be veterans, so proud to serve, because 
your book is just a testament at you know what veterans are capable of and I was completely blown away by your story and who you are and I'm so honored to know you in person get to hang out with you at Black Rifle Coffee and so I just want to thank you as well from the bottom of my heart for spending time with me and my family tonight yes it was so awesome to meet you and your wife and your two beautiful kids so this was awesome and we should do it again we are doing it again we're gonna do a part two yeah after the storm we'll talk about PTSD uh, depression the, the after effects that I didn't get to ask you now that I would assume are probably a part of your life and I'd be curious to know you know how you cope with those things so how about we do a part two and we'll hit on those sounds topics. Sounds good. I look forward to it. That sounds great. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.